News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman in association with Air on News Talk. Uh, thanks for coming in to us. A-, a momentous day yesterday with the Windsor framework. Are you confident, though, it can pave the way for a pretty early return of the power-sharing executive in Northern Ireland? Well, it is a very significant day, and I think it does uh, signal a new chapter in the relationship between the United Kingdom and the European Union in the first instance, which I think is very important, given the broader geopolitical issues we are facing with the war in Ukraine, energy crisis, climate change, uh, and the need for Europe and the UK to be in harmony. On, on those fundamental issues. And also in respect, obviously, of Northern Ireland, our main objective um, is to have the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement restored, the Assembly and the Executive up and running. Uh, I think it's fair that people would be given opportunity to uh, examine what is a very comprehensive package of documentation that has uh, emanated from these negotiations, which have been going on for some months. And talking to Mara Sefcovic last Sunday week, I mean, literally a lot of the team there are exhausted given the level of input every file looked at um, under, under, under the protocol and the trading agreement. Um, so um, I think it, 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 it's fair that people would have an opportunity to examine it. But I do, notwithstanding that, in parallel with this, I've always been of the view that the institution should be back. The people of Northern Ireland deserve uh, t- that their vote matters and that the people they elected uh, get into the Assembly and into the Executive. And above all, people who create jobs in Northern Ireland, business and industry, want certainty. These these negotiations give certainty in terms of the trading relationship, in terms of the basic fact now that the goods, uh, food and so on will will be on the shelves of Northern Ireland supermarkets, as in the UK. There won't be any, any difference in relation to any aspect of that. Medicines will be available in Northern Ireland, as they will be in, in, in the UK same time and under the same yeah. uh, circumstances. Uh, and so that certainty will be there. Uh, other sectors that were doing well anyway, such as manufacturing and the food industry, will be the side of relief because uh, it retains what they were looking for in terms of the, uh, the, the, the positives that have emerged for them in terms of their sectors. But now the political certainty is required. Political stability is required. I think the people of Northern Ireland deserve that. Yeah. Uh, and to give people uh, a decent quality of life in terms of, of, of all of those conditions. You, you will have been on the inside and won't have been surprised what came out yesterday. I have to say, when I was watching the coverage, I was kind of surprised at what exactly was on offer. It, 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 there, was, there was huge compromise from the EU. Jeffrey Donaldson was proven right, wasn't he, to play hardball here? Well, I think the... I mean, we all thought he was just saying no for the sake of it, but he's actually got a lot of what he wanted. He has. Uh, but to be fair, for a while, we've all been saying that legitimate issues had been raised. Uh, by p- political parties in Northern Ireland. All political parties would have raised issues around the free movement, the free flow of goods from the GB to to the to, to Northern Ireland. Uh, but unionism did raise specific issues. Mm. Um, and the EU has listened. And the, the there was goodwill between the British government and the EU from the outset of these particular set of and phase of negotiations. And mm. you can never underestimate the importance of goodwill. In other words, are the importance of having a grown up in the room in the shape of Rishi Sunak uh, as opposed uh, to some of his predecessors? Well, I think Rishi Sunak made up his mind when he was elected Prime Minister he was going to resolve this. He conceded the greater good for the UK in having a a sensible, structured, and harmonious relationship with the European Union. Absolutely. If you note the language, partners, friends, joint solutions. I mean, there was warmth in that room yesterday that wasn't there previously. Correct. And you, you would say to us that. This was no longer an engagement that was just about raising problems. 
the UK government came to the table with problems and challenges, but also with solutions and proposals. And so you had both teams working together to solve it, mm. to resolve issues. And when you and what struck me early on is talking to again uh, to the EU team and indeed to the UK team. Um, trust had built up between the two negotiating teams um, from early on. Um, and, uh, you know, I pay tribute to, to Mara Sefcovic, uh, to, to Rishi Sunak, James Cleverley and, and Chris Heaton-Harris for more uh, with the British Irish Intergovernmental Conference. It was very clear to us that they were in solution mode. Um, and a lot of people will probably underestimate the level of detail they had to go into uh, and the exhaustive nature of these discussions and negotiations. And uh, this hasn't been easy on both negotiating teams. And I think because EU law is, is complex, EU trading relationships are complex, uh, particularly with third countries and so Can on. Can I ask you bluntly, though, did it help that um, Lord Frost wasn't in the room? Did it help that Boris Johnson wasn't in the room? Well, I don't want to get into personality, Shane, but I'll put it this way to you. If, 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 if the will is there to, to arrive at a solution, you can arrive at the solution. Okay. If the will fundamentally isn't there, uh, then you will not. And you, you know okay. my views on, I always felt that over a year ago, maybe over a year, yeah, October 12 months, um, you know, Lord Frost did intervene in what was then a set of proposals that had come from the EU Commission and Marusevkovic before they even got off the starting ground. And I thought I didn't think that was particularly helpful at the time. Uh, but that said, um, we now are in a much better position. Does it worry you when you hear the likes of Ian Paisley say, saying that this deal doesn't cut the mustard or even... Uh, maybe maybe that might be expected but even Jeffrey Donaldson saying there can be no disguise in the fact that in some sectors of our economy EU law remains applicable in Northern Ireland does that but kind that, of slightly worry you a the, little bit? Well, what, Yeah but the key issue here is everybody I speak to in Northern Ireland wants to maintain access to the European single market mm. So there has to be frameworks to manage that. Yeah. And also access to the GB market. Now but you know that that constitutional issue is so important. But, but, the Act of Union. They yeah, keep but the British Supreme Court has resolved that. I mean, it was a challenge to the original protocol. Uh, and the, the, the British courts are very clear. It does not in any shape or form under, 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 or undermine sorry, uh, the constitutional status of Northern Ireland within the UK and the principle of consent uh, yeah. enshrined as in the Good Friday Agreement. So that this these trading re- arrangements do not in any shape or form undermine the constitutional status of Northern Ireland as enshrined in the Good Friday Agreement. Europe is very clear about that. Uh, everybody is at this stage and legally that is the position. Politically it's the position also. Um, and if you remember what gave rise to a lot of this was in the early days of the operation of the protocol was certain goods uh, not on the shelves of Northern Ireland supermarkets and a lot of it was on the consumer f- side of it. Yeah. That's now being comprehensively dealt with. Okay. You, issues arose in relation to medicines. That has been definitively and comprehensively dealt with. Issues arose in, re- in relation to pets, for example, VAT, uh, state aid. All of those issues have been dealt with now. It's very difficult to see what remaining issues there are. Um, in, in, in respect of this. Okay, a couple more things on this. Uh, do you have any concern? I mean, the storm of break, as it's been called, was brought in for very obvi- obvious reasons to assuage uh, unionist concerns. Do you, though, have any concern that it could lead to a divergence of standards between North and South? Well, I've always had a different, you know, I stand back from a lot of this and people in industry and business will tell you the market determines standards, the market that you're exporting into. So I think people need and regulations to, also determine yes, standards. Um, but again, um, the yeah. But I think most industry and business, want, if you want to export into a particular market, you're going to have to adjust in practical terms 
to meet the requirements of that market. But in a broader sense, in terms of other regulations and that, I think it does make sense that uh, representatives of the Northern Assembly and stakeholders more generally would have input in the early stages of any new regulations coming into play um, in advance of them coming into play. Uh, and I think Europe has always been clear that they, they, they have no difficulty with that. In fact, that's a general principle around uh, EU regulations in any mm. event. Um, and I think that's been facilitated in disagreement. And in terms of the specific issue that you, you've referenced there, in the event of something emerging that would have have a persistent impact on Northern Ireland, uh, then a break could could be put on that um, by, by, by 30 MLAs uh, making representations to the UK government and as a process for doing that. But in advance of it ever getting to that stage, there are mechanisms within the trading agreement, such as the Joint Committee and so on, yeah. where issues would be amicably resolved. Uh, just finally, this, I mean, I know you stressed and quite rightly that you know, the DUP deserve time to, 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 to look through this very complex uh, document. But are you encouraged by the mood music over the last uh, 24 hours? And in, in particular, in, in, in Westminster, it would seem that this deal is going to get general approval, if not unanimous approval. Do you think we will have agreement from the DUP? Do you think in a year's time, for example, the institutions will be back up and running? Well, again, I think what's interesting this time around, both gov- both the government in, in the UK and in, and the uh, European Union negotiating team and the Commission both own this agreement and no one is kind of shying away from the agreement. They've both signed off on it. That in itself is a significant decision. Uh, it's a matter for the DUP ultimately uh, to decide, but I do believe that the people of Northern Ireland want the government. The people of Northern Ireland uh, want the, the, the decision that they made in the last election validated in the form of the convening of the Assembly, the election of an executive, uh, First Minister and Deputy First Minister, that can deal with the issues that affect people in Northern Ireland in their daily lives. And um, uh, I think the ground has been set to, to facilitate and to enable all of that. And Rishi Sunak is someone clearly you can do business with. That's been made pretty obvious, isn't he, it? He's a professional uh, pol- uh, politician who clearly has... Um, you know, in in my view, a clear roadmap ahead of him in terms of what he wants to do. And, and, and when I would, met him before Christmas, he was very clear he wanted to have a negotiated resolution of these issues with the European Union. That is what has transpired. And I think the European Union have been responsive, but also do get that sense from 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 the UK government um, in terms of that uh, desire to to have a better relationship into the future. I think it's informed by what's going on internationally. Uh, the war on Ukraine in particular has created real serious issues and the, the, the polarisation of the world. Uh, so uh, countries that are in the rule-based multi-framework, multilateral framework, uh, such as the UK, US, European Union, you know, Japan, ASEAN countries and so on, uh, they're coming together to uphold the multilateral order. And that may seem distant from the protocol and everything else, but actually it is the background. It fed into it. It is a significant background to a lot of rethinking that's going on in terms of uh, the future and given the, the, the very serious issues that we're facing uh, in okay. Europe with the war in Ukraine. Interesting perspective. Um, just uh, three quick issues other than the uh, the protocol before we let you go, uh, Tanish. Uh, reports today, the coalition is planning a COVID inquiry uh, for the, the middle of, of uh, to be set up by the middle of this year. Uh, do you have a, uh, any kind of take on what 
form that should take. I mean, I have to say personally, when I hear of public inquiries, I break out in a rash because I've seen too many of them go on for too yeah. long and, and cost too much and people being lawyered up. What's your take on what should happen? Well, we don't need lawyer, people lawyering up in, in respect of this. I think we need to evaluate how we did. Um, and I think there has to be, um, in my view, there's a combination of, of, of approaches that one can take in terms of, first of all, there was a public health study and um, analysis done, uh, I think, uh, that should be published. Um, and that would feed into a broader um, evaluation inquiry, call it what you like. I prefer the term evaluation because this isn't about damning people. It's about sort of coldly and clinically working mm. out. Did we make the right decisions? How could we do better if there was another pandemic in two or three years' time? Um, and what, what, what were the better uh, aspects yeah, of our response? Sense. And what were those aspects that didn't work out? Uh, what do you think of uh, Martin Cormican's uh, comments, uh, Professor Martin Cormican's comments, that our response to the COVID crisis depended too much on fear, limited basic freedoms for too long, focused on too much on short-term metrics, case numbers and mortality? Um, w- Pretty critical. What did you? What did, what's your response? Well, to I'm that? surprised because he was in Neffet. Was he overruled in Neffet? Was he sidelined ah, in Neffet? Ah, come on, you, Med- you, you're not buying that. Well, medics are, are, are strong enough personalities, from my experience. Um, I would say to, to Martin that I mean he's entitled to his perspective on it, and, and that should form part of any evaluation that we do. But we did go beyond Neffet too, by the way, in respect of of, of sounding out people uh, across the broad. Uh, scientific and, and medical world, yeah. and you know, and I know that there were different views and different perspectives, and that's the, the that's the robust nature of our democracy. And uh, you know, and I don't want to name names t- totally, but you know, you had uh, you had people like Mary Horgan, uh, Luke O'Neill, um, many others. Um, who fed into the national debate. Some yeah. came on to Neffet subsequently. Did, did Neffet allow so, for much dissent in its ranks, though? There was maybe a feeling that it was quite centralised, Neffet, at the but time. But again, I mean, we, two things I would say. In, 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 the, in the midst of any pandemic, you need a strong public health response, you know. You need decisiveness as well. You've yeah. got to take decisions. You can't sort of analyse forever and yeah. be paralysed yeah. as a result of the analysis. And we do learn um, in, 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 as you go through the journey. Uh, like, I wouldn't agree with Martin's view on masks, for example. Uh, I mean, a lot of people were calling for masks far earlier than we actually brought masks in. Uh, and you had a lot of interested, you know, a lot of senior uh, people in the scientific world who, who felt masks were, were required. I would agree with other aspects in terms of what he had said. Um, um, in, you know, in terms of the ventilation argument and, and so on, in, in, in terms of what's possible yeah. and what's not possible. But again, I think uh, Martin's views and other views, I think I admire that he has come out and said what he had said in the context of his experiences on Neffet. Um, but we, we didn't place any restrictions on anybody to articulate their views at the time or okay. during COVID. Okay, no, sir, and I certainly wasn't accusing you of doing that. Uh, two other quick things before I let you go. It seems that decision uh, to have the, and, and obviously you're a former Minister for Education, uh, leaving cert, some leaving cert paper sat at the end of fifth year, that has been deferred at least. Uh, right call, do you think? Uh, there was a lot of, I, I was getting a lot of kickback from uh, teachers that I spoke to saying, this is mad, it's not going to work, we're not ready for it, kids aren't ready, it's too stressful, do you think it's right to defer it? I think it is, and actually students' voice had a, had a stronger input in some yeah. respects, I hope, uh, because uh, Norma Foley said to me that, that the students' representatives had come to her um, saying they were very concerned. And I think there was a view that this particular cohort had suffered more than most during the COVID period. True. And they had a lot of pressures coming into fifth year, 
given what transpired over the last two don't and, and a half years. So maybe not the best uh, timing in respect. So it's, it's of not that. a dead duck as far as you're well, concerned. Well, I think there's a more broader substantive um, reforms uh, contemplated in respect of continuous assessment. And a lot of detailed work is going on. And the minister today will be announcing um, you know the, the the framework, or the sorry, the 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 mechanisms by which the the reforms will be driven in terms of a new board, okay. a delivery board that will be established, and that will drive curricular reform and assessment in particular, because that issue is not we're not um, <clears throat> going off that in in, in terms okay. of the necessity right. to have reform in our leaving certificate, particularly around the assessment. And just before you go, can I ask you? Uh, you've been quite critical of Sinn Fein um, in in recent times. Can I just ask you your response to report? about a complaint to the to CEPO, the Standards and Public Office Commission, about a series of discrepancies and anomalies in the Sinn Féin accounts and election spending returns, those contradictions between what Sinn Féin says it spent in elections in its annual accounts and what it reported to CEPO. Have you been looking at that or what's your reaction well, to that? Well, I believe that? Sinn Féin should, ex- should explain the divergence and should uh, be accountable uh, in, in, in respect. Would they not say, yes, they will do that and they will, they will respond to CEPO? Well, I CEPO? think they should act as they expect others to act uh, and recent events in the Doyle suggested that they didn't favour that particular approach um, what also strikes me is those the big elephant in the room is that massive legacy they received uh, millions from, from, from this is the money from the, the English man who lived in the caravan yeah. uh, why, I, I think why, there are very significant questions around that uh, I, I remain well they say they, they inherited this money I retain scepticism about but what I know what the elephant in the room is uh, they, be, they became a partitionist party overnight uh, because they're they're spending this money in the north, even though it was designated yeah, for Sipo, Sinn Féin Sipo and the Republic for, of Ireland. You know, queries on it, and they said no, it's nothing to do with Sipo because it's actually money for Northern Ireland, even though they will stipulate Sinn Féin in the Republic. And uh, on most issues, Sinn Féin will always tell you, you know, we're the only All Ireland yeah. party. Uh, they weren't an All Ireland party on this one, and they, they, and I think that is problematic and I think it's the wealthiest party in in the country's extraordinary wealth um, and I think legitimate questions um, do you, need do to be you asked. accept do you accept their insistence that none of that money has been used south of the border in the Republic of Ireland well, I think there's issues that have arisen um, in terms of their general election spend uh, invoice and so on so I don't know you know I just don't know you're not willing to accept it. But I do believe that there should, they should have, there should be, you know, um, obviously the, the, the SIPO will do its its work. But in terms of the discrepancies that have become public now, and given their, their hounding of Pascal O'Donoghue recently and so on, they, they, I think they have an obligation to, to be more accountable than they have been. Thomas Stett, Michal Martin, thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk. This morning. Thank you indeed.